Wham, Bam, Thank You, Ma'am is a podcast that discusses sex, intimate and sexual situations, sexualized anatomy, alcohol, and substance use. Naughty language will be used. We recommend listeners be 18 or older, as some content will not be suitable for younger listeners. Individual episodes may contain additional content warnings. Please refer to these at the start of each episode to keep yourself safe. Most importantly, have fun and enjoy. Content warnings for Dragon Queens. This story contains mature themes, including implied non-consent slash reluctance, rape and torture, under-negotiated kink, homophobia, implied spousal abuse, death, and depictions of war. Welcome to Wham Bam Thank You Ma'am, the smuttiest, sluttiest podcast this side of literary analysis. I'm Corinne, and I am here because I know things about things. I studied literature in college and media, but also I read a lot of fan fiction and I am a Stucky stan. I hope you all know there's going to be lots of Bucky Barnes in most of the things I bring to the table. Next up, Andy, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, I am Andy. My qualifications for being here are um, that I have been reading fanfic since I was like 11 years old, and I have read more supernatural fanfic than I will ever admit to everyone, anyone. Like, I would hide that from God. And what about you, Roxy? Hello, everyone. My name is Roxy. I am unfortunately an avid reader of romance novels. Some of them a bit more sultry <laughs> than others. Would you call them saucy? You could. Maybe even <laughs> dear to say spicy. <laughs> hey, yo. I am hey, yo. a mental Ooh. health professional, but right now I stream on Twitch under the handle Psyche Siren, trying to destigmatize mental health by being a fool online. Uh, and I'm <laughs> happy to be here. Um, and I and I would say, so if you hear uh, Roxy psychoanalyzing any of us or anything... There is a background there in that. And if you, it is. <laughs> yes, and if, and if you see me like dissecting literature, there is a background in that. And if you see Andy knowing way too much about fan fiction, there is a background in that. <laughs> we are what you may call professionals in our field. Yeah, exactly. Avid, yeah. avid literature enjoyers. Yes, we enjoy literature, and we hope you will enjoy it too. And wine. Gonna need it. And wine. <laughs> gonna need it. We're gonna need it. We're all gonna need it. You're gonna need it. Um, all right. So for our inaugural episode, we're covering uh, Dragon Queens by Kathleen de Plume. And I'll read the summary for you now. With her betrothal imminent, the beautiful Princess Ava has gone missing. Where has she fled to? Why has she gone? And why is the dragon stirring? Enter our hero, Gwen has been hunting wanted criminals for years, collecting bounties to provide for her mother and brother since the death of their father. The promise of an armful of gold bringing the princess home is too good to ignore. But bringing her home doesn't solve anyone's problems. Gwen still has family to support, and Ava still has a miserable marriage to look forward to. How will they get over these hurdles, and what new ones will they create along the way? Since this is our first episode, let's talk a little bit about the format. We've all read this book. Taken notes, highlighted some of the spiciest sections, and we'll be discussing the story in sexy bits, comparing it to romance and smut fiction with similar themes, setting tropes, etc. While enjoying copious amounts of wine and other such inebriating substances. Stick around to the very end for a special segment we call Tingling Tinglers. But first off, Roxy, this isn't your first time reading Dragon Queens. Why'd you pick it as our first novel? I... I regret... <laughs> 
<laughs> I okay, listen. Usually when it comes to like romance novels, I don't know why this happens. A lot of them are series. They're like seven books long and like they're they're really hard to digest. You gotta you gotta like set aside a few months, you know. With Dragon Queens, it's just it's just a it's a one it's it's like a one shot, you know? It's just a it's like in like D D terms, you know. It's more uh easy to digest and I love them. I love these characters. They're I'm not gonna spoil too much as we get into the podcast, but they're just they're so dumb. <laughs> they're just... At many points I refer to them as pigeons. Yeah. And I and I hope that describes them well. Just like in my notes, you'll just see pigeons <laughs> like in all capitals. <laughs> they're like they, these characters, I, I just genuinely enjoy their personalities. It's like they're very smart and they subvert tropes. But when it comes to each other, they're just the dumbest fucks around. And if love doesn't make you dumb, what does? <laughs> That's uh, so fair and valid. Yeah. Also, another reason I really love this book that I kind of mentioned already, a lot of tropes are changed around. Like the way you think something is going to go. No. No, <laughs> no. So yeah, I thought it was unique. I thought it was well written. Uh, characters were enjoyable, and it didn't take like eight books to tell a story. I uh, so what you're saying is that in general, you really enjoy a slow burn, and this was one of the quicker burns you yes, enjoyed. Yes, yes. Listen, if you want a fast, okay, if you want a fast burn. It's not super fast. Like they they need help. It takes <laughs> them some time. Uh, yes. But it doesn't take so many books, you know, and it's not it's not just smut like there's actual heart to these characters. But yeah, I, I'm not a fast lady, but gosh dang. Yeah. Ten and books to tell a story. Come on. <laughs> I got taxes to pay. <laughs> we, we don't got time for that. I'm in my 30s now. Come on. <laughs> Time's running out. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, time runs running out. You're so old in your 30s. Yes, I'm so decrepit now. Ah. Um, the the first thing I'd I'd kind of like to bring to the table actually is the acknowledgement. I I'm gonna read that. <clears throat> oh, yep. For all the women out there, both young and young at heart, who dreamed of facing the dragon to rescue the princess, may you all have your own happily ever after. I loved that. I loved that. I thought it was so sweet. I'm bisexual and I didn't realize for a really long time that I was. And so most of the time when I was having these fantasies, I was imagining myself rescuing the princess or, you know, like being the rescuer and not being the princess. And so I, I don't know, it really hit like close to my heart being that little girl and wishing for that and not really realizing why, you know, not making that connection. Um, so I thought, I don't know, I just thought it was a good way to start. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't actually read that part. I was just like getting into it. So I'm yeah. I'm glad you went back and read that. That's yeah. I, 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 you can see in my notes. Yeah. Read acknowledgement aloud. I mean, it's reverse, but. <laughs> I, um, I also, that really hits hard, like being bisexual and not understanding you were yet. For me, yeah. I was shocking for most of you. Uh, I was the princess in the scenario, but my rescuer had really long hair. Don't know. <laughs> about see i do find it interesting who we each identify with in the book like jokingly i photoshopped us all 
um, you know, as the different characters. That's right. But, you know, like I'm I'm kind of with Corinne where I would have seen myself as the knight more. And I don't know, you know, where that stems from and we're not going to get into it. But yeah. it's, it's interesting because you yeah. can kind of slide into both, you know, but like there's yeah. they're still their own characters, but you can still kind of. Yeah. Slide in there. And, and I think it does say something about us like when we're interpreting media how we're how we're seeing ourselves you know are we looking to be rescued or are we looking to be the rescuer and it's different in many cases but i i think a lot of times women are put into the role of rescuee but we don't need to be we can be the rescuer but also there's nothing wrong with being rescued you know it it's not it's just often the the role that we're pushed into and i think there's a difference between choosing that role in your own fantasy or choosing something different and being able to choose something different. Um, and I think, you know, literature like this does give us more of an option to uh-huh. not just be the damsel in distress. Um, I did read up about her a little bit. Like, she kind of talks in the back of the book kind of yeah. who she is. Um, it It is nice. It is a it is a lesbian book. I mean, you know, a woman-loving woman book. Let me be more clear. Um, femme-loving femme book written by a femme-loving femme person. Yes. And while I do take some umbrage with some of the things, not that they're wrong, they're just not my personal experience, it is nice because you know it is coming from that place. It's not yes. the man writing, you know, her <laughs> her nipples grew aroused. <laughs> you know she, she walked down, down, yeah, down the stairs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a very significant difference for me having, like, reading this and seeing, generally speaking, how the women were described. And, like, uh, one of the big points for me, um, I, I think it's even okay to just kind of, like, get out there and, like, throw this out there. Um, let me find it real fast um, in my notes. Is specifically um, the first time we have Gwen observing a naked Ava. Those are the two main characters, by the way. Gwen is the essentially knight in shining armor, armor, and Ava is the princess. So this is <laughs> page 72. Ava had her shirt off and was pushing down her riding skirts. Gwen tried not hard not to stare, but couldn't help noticing her small round breasts with nipples pointing just higher than the horizon. Still a funny line. Um, she looked away before she could think too hard about that. A uh, perfectly flat stomach and the flare of her. Damn it, Gwen. You're trying not to think about her that way. And then... Here is Gwen describing herself. Gwen looked down at her own nude form, following the princess's line of sight, the unruly thatch of hair. She glanced over to where Ava was now, also perfectly naked, and saw that her golden curls were far shorter and appeared to be growing in a very neat patch. And, like, these are the first time these two are seeing each other naked. And I just thought it was kind of a well-written way to get visualizations of these characters in all their glory without doing the fucking awkward i'm looking in a mirror describing myself in a sexualized manner so you know what i look like yeah that so often happens coming from male writers um it's like the first thing they get to I hate that instead of yeah. establishing yeah. a story which, yes. which in this book they do establish a story yeah. in a setting yes. first this was page 72 yeah page yeah. 72 uh, yeah. and yeah. you do you do get hints at like what she looks like when she goes into uh-huh. the bar and i'm not i'm not gonna you know go too far yeah but they're like hints they're not yeah i stared at myself in the mirror 
my big boobies swaying yeah. in the wind. You know? <laughs> exactly. My big boobies boobed boobily. Exactly. Exactly. I boobed boobily into the tavern and yeah. I laid my boobs upon the tavern counter. And I asked for one wine. My big honking <laughs> boulders spilled my, out like an avalanche. My big naturals. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I, I just, that was one of the points I really wanted to bring up is that we're seeing this, as Andy said, like from a, a female perspective, which is great. And actually not something I've had a lot of opportunity to find in fiction outside of fan fiction. Yep. Where... Generally speaking, the fan fiction space is dominated by women and femme folk. <laughs> Not always the case. There are plenty of guys who write fan fiction, um, but it is more common that you'll find women and femme folk in that sphere. Yeah. Um, I, I think because so many novels, liter literature, media, novels, literature, and media are not through our gaze. Um, and so when we get the chance to tell the stories from our side of things in fan fiction, in uh, fan works, we find that what we're looking for that the the gaze that we don't see um and there's more movies and things now that are coming out that are fr like that are taken from the female gaze um i'm trying to remember there's a specific movie all these uh it was like being panned by a bunch of guys on the internet and then women on the internet were like no this is the female gaze this is what oh it's george of the jungle yes george of the jungle yes yes thank you sorry um, yeah, George of the Jungle. So George of the Jungle is one of the few movies that is from the female perspective. Um, the woman is just, a like, she's beautiful, but she's not incredibly striking. She's no, she was, isn't somebody who would stop you on the street just by her beauty, you know? She has a mind. She has will. She has thought. She has plans. She meets this man in the jungle who is toned and ripped and glistening, but... He is sweet and he is kind and he takes care of her. And all the women in the scene standing around the horse pen, watching him run with the horses. And then all the guys are standing in the back like, man, women love horses, huh? <laughs> and then all the women are talking about George running with the horse, you know? Yeah. And it, it was it's like one of the few movies that really takes the female gaze into perspective, like what we're looking for in a story, what we're looking for in a spouse, a partner. We want someone to be sexy, yeah, of course, um, generally speaking. But, like, we want someone to care about us and, and think about us and consider our thoughts and put us first and, you know, things like that. Treat and you I like just... a person? What? Yeah. Treat you like a person? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think that reading this book, for me, as someone who hasn't read a lot of romance novels and especially hasn't, <laughs> hasn't written any romance novels, hasn't read any romance novels from the female perspective, it was great. I, like, I really you. did I enjoy that. Yeah. I made sure. <laughs> I was like, yeah. all right, our yeah. first one. Yeah. So to work on this. To pull back the curtain a little bit, uh, Roxy did bring this book to us, and she is apprehensive, I think. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you're a little apprehensive about what we think about the book. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I'm cool. I'm cool. No, 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 no. You're so cool. You're cool as a cucumber. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you may pick up pickle. <laughs> you may pick up hints of Corinne and I being like, it's a good book. We just have these concerns, you know, like Yes. We do there, we do have concerns. I do want to say also, that. Out the I gate. do also. I, and and yeah. I will try very hard not to only defend it, but critique it as well. Because there are some things I'm like, mm-mm, girl. <laughs> There, there's a lot of times I'm going to shake these ladies, let me tell you. 
Can I just volunteer my first? Like, uh, uh-uh. uh. Can I? May I? Yeah. Wait. Yeah, wait. Bring that on should we? Table. Should we wait. tell them the premise? Yes. Well, before like, we, okay. before we, <laughs> uh, here, here, here. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I so, have... so folks know the premise yes. of this. Uh, I have notes. Hold okay, on. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, before we move on, um, yes. I took terrible notes. I'm a terrible note taker, <laughs> but I love making people laugh. Um, with the nipples pointing higher than the horizon line, I wrote a note that just says "compass nipples" in all the caps. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. So the the very basic premise, as you know, read in this description, um, the summary, um, is that the princess has run away. We originally, at the very start of the story, don't know why, and uh, bounty hunters from across the land are tasked with finding her, which seems a little weird. But I do specifically have the the bounty, I believe. Here we go. A bit of a description of uh, Gwen and kind of the start of the story. Within the first twelve pages, we learn a lot about Gwen. She's a bounty hunter, a competent one, tall and educated. She can read, unlike many in her profession. She can also play a part of clueless, working men who underestimate her for information. By the end of the first chapter, we have the setup. The princess is missing after a betrothal she did not seem pleased about. And there's a prophecy that involves the dragon capturing slash otherwise having the princess. And the reward for saving her from that fate is half the kingdom and her hand in marriage. Currently, she's just believed to be missing, so the reward is less. Uh, Raxi, I don't know if there's anything you want to add in there, but that's, that was just kind of like my first my first bout of notes of that we're about to begin. Yes, no, that's absolutely perfect. Uh, yes, basically, all the king's soldiers and men can't find her, so he reaches out to bounty hunters, which Gwen is. Oh, boy, the hijinks set in soon. <laughs> no, no, good, good job. Good job. I agree. I agree with that uh, summary. Okay, so... There's a lot of things that are kind of subverted right out of the gate. Um, even before uh, Gwen um, meets Ava, one thing that caught my eye here was kind of a, a subversion of kind of tropes. Yes, she had been given an ultimatum by her lord father a month or so back. She had turned 25 and he bade her choose someone to marry, else have someone chosen for her. Well, she didn't make more effort in meeting eligible nobles in the weeks that followed, both here and from abroad. But the king was meeting nobles too and had found someone he deemed suitable. Nobles. The lack of gender caught Gwen's ear. She heard that the aristocracy did things differently, and more often, but didn't realize a royal heir might have that freedom. So right off the gate, it's setting the premise for us that the princess doesn't have to choose a man. Which, I feel for a novel that is setting itself in a fancy land, is pretty novel that it is saying right out of the gate, like, hey, while the commoners might have some pretty homophobic ideas... Nobles have the right to choose. Gender does not seem to be an issue. And I don't know if you guys have more to add to that. I actually almost kind of was like, is she going to ask Gwen to dress up like a dude, like a Shakespearean type thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and that be part of the like whole yeah. hijinks. Bizarre. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of glad that she was allowed to keep her femininity and still yes. have that romantic aspect with the princess. I'm trying I, not to spoil too much. Yeah, I know. It's so difficult. It's so difficult. But also, speaking of, like, her her family trying to find her a suitor, regardless of gender, something I loved that it was also, like, a, a change of tropes is her parents love her. Like, this is so yes, yeah. awful, but I feel like in a lot of these books, it's like, I ran away from home because they didn't love me. No, they they love her a lot. They they genuinely just want her <laughs> to have a good life. And like you find out it's not even to have an heir. Um, yeah. It's so that they can be alive to train her consort. 
not her king or queen. Uh, they're they're called a consort. And I was like, okay, well, and, okay. And the fact that no matter who she chooses, what gender, she would still be the queen. She yeah. was still in charge. Yeah. The consort had duties, but if she married a man, the man would not become the king. Nope. The, nope. They were always, no matter gender, the queen's consort. <laughs> and I thought that was very nice. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was very nice to be like, we are not putting this woman in a box. And it, um, and it also wasn't like in a forced, you go girl kind of way. Yeah, it was like, yeah. this is our diplomacy. This is our politics. It didn't feel yeah. forced. It just felt like part of that world, you know? Yeah. There was never a moment where it was a question who was going to lead. That's yeah. kind yeah. of an umbrage I take bringing in the fanfic side of this. In the world of fanfic, AU means alternate universe or alternative universe. So like, for instance, say you have... To use uh, Curran's couple, Stucky. You know, that's, in case you don't know what that is, Steve, what the fuck is his last name? Rogers. Oh, Rogers. <laughs> Steve Rogers and James Buchanan Barnes. I know that one. You do know that one, which the, is bad because it's a longer one. <laughs> yeah. I don't, don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, and they would be in a relationship, but you would be taking them out of their universe or like where their normal stories take place and putting them into a different one. So, like, for instance, a fairy tale AU would be taking them from, you know, 1940s and putting them into a fairy tale, however you decide to do that. Um, or you could have them be pirates or in space anything. or yeah. anything. Any, just an alternate universe where their basic characteristics stay the same, but the situation they are in is completely different from where you'd usually find them. Yes. Um, so in normal, like, fairy tale AUs that I read like on in fan fiction um it's never really talked about in regards to leadership usually there's like the prince or princess that has been raised up to do this um and then when they get married it's like yeah you'll rule beside them and it's like with what knowledge like with yeah. what training yeah. yeah like that's something i really appreciated that like this book went to great pains to be like gwen had to study gwen uh -huh. had to learn gwen tried to do better you know what I mean? Like, she had to meet Ava where she's at, not just get away with being like, I love Princess Diaries, but get away with the whole Princess Diaries of, like, world peace, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> she couldn't just be a, a hot lady. Yeah. She had to learn. Yes. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, oh, boy, did she learn. Yeah. She learned a lot of things. <laughs> um. All right. So, as a bit of a summary... There, there is like the story even kind of points out like hey why isn't the king using his armies or his seers to find the princess basically setting up why the bounty hunters are being sent instead of those closer to the king uh essentially the reasoning is that the king's men already looked but the king doesn't have large standing armies and it's much easier to send out a bunch of bounty hunters who you don't have to pay until they bring something back like it's a good reasoning because there's a lot of time in stories there's not like a sound foundation for why the thing is happening. And I feel like the story really did set out to be like, hey, these are the whys in the house. We're in this situation. We're not just assuming the situation just happened out of thin air. And for a yeah. romance novel, that's work you didn't have to do. You didn't yeah. exactly. You could have <laughs> you know? just dropped us in the middle of it and been like, no, but this is the world. Nothing. You don't get any explanations. <laughs> but she, she does take the time. And it, it, yes. once again, it's not a series. It's just the one book, but she still takes that time to immerse the reader and answer yes. questions, which is really cool. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I feel like Kathleen does a very good job about yeah. with that. Um, and like being like, 
yeah, the king has seers, but prophecy is fucked up and hard to understand. And so the king's, if the king's asked the seers, he'd get basically some weird prophecy he has to decipher. And he just wants to find his daughter. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I feel like that's kind of like important things to kind of start out. Um, oh, and one last thing. On page 19, it is stated that, that the princess can marry a commoner, which is important to the story. Uh, Deidre hesitated. Not really. By law, the prince or princess may marry whomever they choose. Though, if she turned down a duke to marry a cobbler's boy, she better really love him. Or the duke might start a rebellion for the insult. In practice, she would never truly look outside the hereditary lordships. Occasionally, our particularly impressive knight might catch the eye of a princess. But the ogres have a certain decade, so the opportunity for heroics isn't what it once was. And... So it's kind of stating like the last thing we need to make this story work, that the princess doesn't need to marry someone landed. If there's a heroic knight, she could marry a heroic knight. If there is someone particularly impressive, but the caveat is it would piss off the nobles. Uh So you got to make it fucking good. And I feel like that is kind of the arc of the story is uh-huh. making it fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it's much more or much less of a you need to marry this person because I said so duty yeah. and uh, you need to marry this person because he has those standing armies or like he can yeah. build up those standing armies very quickly and fuck us. So yeah. you need to you need to be thinking you have to actually use your diplomat brain that we raised you to have and think about this diplomatically. Which she does. Like, that's her big trait, I would say, is she is the yes. one of the most diplomatically sound characters I've ever read. Yes, and Roxy, I don't know if you want to input first on on the diplomacy of Princess Ava. Do we, do we want to tell a bit more about the story uh, yeah, and I why like we, we she... We can start diving deeper, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, have, I have a lot of moments where she is very diplomatic, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. I will say... I absolutely love the, like, the trope of, you know, oh, the princess just follows her emotions and she ran away because she's not in love. No, she ran away because, you know, not to spoil too much, but he freaking sucks. Uh, <laughs> and Tara- I, I have a direct quote for that if you need it. You know what? Yeah. Toss it out there. Give me it. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Hold on. Tell me about the fuckwad. <laughs> uh, yes, I call him fuckwit. Yes, yes. Gwen had run out of ways to distract herself quietly. She figured while they were walking, the forest was as good as time as any to see if she could get her companion to open up. Just trying to find another plan to not marry the Earl. Well, we can talk about your plans if you like, or you can tell me how you see the problem. I could try and come up with something together. Ava sighed. Reginald is a bully. He's closer to my father's age than mine. He has bastards up and down the realm, and I have grave suspicions that not all the mothers were willing. Her eyes flashed with fury. No, it's worse than that. I have reason to believe he shuns willing women for unwilling. He enjoys the sport. She spat the last word with ferocity and then continued. Is it just his sexual proclivities that anger you? Is that not enough? Now Ruglay was turned on Gwen, who held her hand up placatingly without interrupting. No, it's not just his sexual proclivities, as you call them. My father is impressed by his prowess in the battlefield. And with the rise in his wealth over the 15 years he has been in control of his earldom. But he delights in torture. He has ridden away from enemies who were mortally wounded when it would have cost him nothing to end their suffering. Worse, I have heard from a man who served in his army that he has added cuts to a dying man that did nothing but increase pain without hastening the end. So, 
in other stories, I feel when a princess would be telling the story to her would-be lover, she'd probably be teary-eyed or say it very softly, but she's mad for these people. And she's not mad that he kills people on the battle battlefield. She she recognizes that's a part of war. Uh, she's been raised to be a ruler. She gets upset because he doesn't do it in a humane way. She gets upset not that he has extramarital affairs because she recognizes a lot of uh, nobles do that. She is upset in the way that he does so. So I feel like Ava is a very complex and fun character because... Princesses usually in stories are, Oh, daddy wishes for me to marry for the kingdom. Instead of, my consort's a dick, I need someone better. <laughs> and she, she actually thinks things through. Yeah. Like she was raised by nobility. She doesn't think of them as someone pampered in a tower. Uh, and I love it. I love it so much. Without getting too far ahead of ourselves. She's much more of a 20 to 30 something princess than she is a 16 year old. But daddy, I love him. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Princess. And I feel like literature like this is just littered with the but daddy, I love pimps. Mm-hmm. Uh, the aerial. It is <laughs> absolutely rife with aerial. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Let me tell you, The Little Mermaid, love the movie, but. Come on now, that story's oh, fucking you ridiculous. Watch it with uh, you like you've never even talked to this guy. You're 16. Yeah. An octopus lady. He's clearly a better role model. Yeah. <laughs> Go study witchcraft with Ursula. Seriously. Come back when you're 25 and then yeah. decide if you want to schlup him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but yeah, I um absolutely love how they handled it. Yeah. I feel like that was, I feel like the setup here is what makes this book as good as it is. Because yeah. it does have its flaws, which we will certainly get to, I am sure. I know Andy's biting. We gotta tell the story at first, though. We gotta tell the yeah, story. Yeah, okay. But I would say that the setup here is very, very good. Um, narratively speaking, we get the hows, the whys, the whos. We understand this universe before we even really start to get into the romance. And we understand the place both of these characters have. Both these characters have characters before they are a unit. And I think that's really important. They aren't just, they are two separate units that then come together. They're not just two flat characters that become two-dimensional together. They are two-dimensional on their own, which I think is really important. They don't sing and then, oh my God, they have conflict they have conversations like they are very well the strength of this book is the establishment of it kind of repeating what you said the establishing of the characters the setting the background i mean for god's sakes it's a world with a dragon prophecy yes but these are still (laughs) these are still two of the more like realistic characters and i would argue honestly that ava's more of a person than gwen and not that gwen's like not a person like she has a character I feel like having that development really helps the story because there's there there is a lot of subversion, but there is a lot of like tropiness in it that you'd be like, okay, like that's what I would expect from a romance novel. But the oh, fact yeah. that Ava is this person that's different and kind of like more complex than we're used to in like a fairy tale type setting, I feel like really adds to the uniqueness of the story. I would agree. I would say, because I mean, Gwen, since the story is being told from Gwen's perspective. So we're getting more of Ava's characterization as Gwen sees her, which I think is is important. And we do see Ava as more of a fully fleshed out character because in your day to day life, you don't think of yourself that much. Like, 
you might have moments where you deeply ponder your own existence um, or like how hot someone is. But like generally speaking, like you're kind of observing the world around you. So Gwen is not as fully fleshed out. She does have characteristics. She does have like, we see her as she is seen in the world. Um, and I think that's important. When she is uh, confronted by other bounty hunters, they do view her as lesser in a sense. She's proved herself, but they still try to outshine her. And she's more easily able to get information instead of approaching it as a male bounty hunter would as acting like a clueless woman going up and being like oh tell me the news of the kingdom you know she is able to flip-flop and switch those rules and that's kind of more how we see Gwen is in how the world sees her which I have a lot to say on that later in that she is often she's often described in more masculine terms despite being a woman and that really plays a part in a in how the story progresses as how she is seen by the royal family and by the nobility. And I, I will I will interject and say the person who treats her with the most femininity is Ava, which I absolutely yes. love. Because uh-huh. she doesn't view her as masculine. She views her as another, you know, female partner. And she, she acknowledges that feminine beauty. And some of the best scenes and spiciest scenes are, I would argue... When uh, she recognizes that femininity, but I will not get ahead of myself. I'm going to get ahead of you, Roxy, and let everyone know right now that Gwen's the bottom. That's all I'm going to oh, say. Yeah, yeah. Not, oh, yeah. Gwen's yeah. the bottom, and it's she great. Is the bottom. Okay, here we go. This is when the two actually first meet. When realizes that Ava has been captured by the dragon, which... It is noted specifically that royalty is catnip to dragons. Yep. That dragons are drawn to unguarded royalty, specifically unguarded. This becomes very important later. They explain. I've never read a book with a dragon in it where they actually explain why dragons yes. go after nobility. Yeah. yeah like it, it explains. Yeah. It becomes a big <laughs> point later. And I really love that. I love that. Um, But not yet. Not yet. Hey, not hey, yet. Hey. But so Gwen has to go and save the princess from a dilapidated castle instead of trying to go full force into this like perhaps a male knight would uh, someone who actually was a knight someone who was a man in this universe instead she chooses to be stealthy she chooses to time herself she chooses to watch and see as the dragon leaves and comes back and i think that's very she goes for the pins on the door she can't open a door she thinks through it and doesn't force her way through and i'm just like is this a is this a allegory? <laughs> <laughs> yes, like so much of this rescue is an allegory for the different ways in which women and men approach problems. And, you know, just especially in fiction, a man is seen as forcing his way through a problem, muscling through it. A woman is seen as thinking through it. And yet Gwen is kind of the combination of the two. She is a strong woman, but she isn't rushing blindly in on some basis of machismo. She is thinking it through. She is planning it. But she's still going into that dragon castle. She is still taking down that door. She's just doing it in a different way. And I think that's very important to yep, her character. Yep. Oh, yes, Andy. Oh, I was just going to say, that scene, you guys are going to laugh at me. But what that scene reminded me the most of was the movie Shrek. Because <laughs> yes, they, yes. they both subvert too. in completely yeah. different ways. But they're yes. still, it's very true to their character, how they subvert. But they're still 
subversions, which I think is really neat. Yes, this Sorry. does parallel Shrek. I do want to say that right out of the gate. Damn it, her first episode, her paralleling Shrek. Honestly, I love Shrek. Podcast is going Shrek down. is excellent. Just a note in our lives, Shrek is very prominent. Um, all right, no, so scrub the note. Scrub the note. No, my students used to. No, I was my classroom was the swamp when I was a school teacher. It's a thing. I claim it. I claim it. Okay, sorry. All right. So Gwen removes the door using the pins, taking the pins out because the lock was rusted shut. She stopped it from falling when the lock caught it. She eased it open as far as it would go and stepped inside. Brave Sir Knight, came a melodious voice from deeper in the room. A beautiful young woman, somewhat below average height with a long golden plate, stepped out of the shadows. Her blue riding dress was travel stained, yet she carried herself with such grace and elegance that Gwen couldn't look away. May I see the face of my rescuer? So Shrek. So fucking I know. Shrek. So Shrek. Damn it. This is, this is Shrek. <laughs> I do want to say, while we have a yeah. second, sorry for interrupting. No, no, no. There are tons of references in this book. I don't know if you picked them up. Gwen constantly says, as you wish. As you, as you wish. As you wish. And I'm like, bride. Ooh, bitch, I see you. Yeah, You're referencing. Yeah. Every time, as you wish. I have it highlighted. As you wish. As you wish. As yeah. you wish. Like, the Princess Bride references are heavy. And I get it. This is another story that is about subverting the will of the kingdom for love and in a sense this was more like her dad didn't want ava to marry someone she didn't love but they were out of time you know like that was the story there you know um whereas in the princess bride it's just the the king picked her and the king was the king you know yeah but regardless Gwen hesitated briefly. Her face was hidden by the hood of her cloak. Her breastplate betrayed nothing of the shape underneath it, and her height was above that of most men. Combined with her broad shoulders, it was no surprise the princess assumed her to be male. Best to fix the understanding right away. She stood up straight and lowered her hood. Princess Ava, I'm here to take you home. The princess gave a small gasp. Her eyes widened. The small, oh, she gave sounded disappointed. What did Gwen expect it? The princess probably had a romantic ideal of being swept away by a handsome and dashing prince. A knight, at the very least. She certainly didn't want to be returned to her father's court. And the betrothal she had already run away from once. Gwen was counting on her wanting to flee the dragon more than Lord. I always say fuck with, fuck so with. I don't know. Yeah, it's fuck with. Persuading her to come all the way home was a problem for after they escaped. Real, real quick, first time reading this, something I really liked was she immediately cleared the misunderstanding. Instead yes. of having it go on for a while where she keeps the helmet on and, you know. Yeah. She, she could have pretended. Yeah, she could have. And in some stories they do. But she's like, no, let's clear this out of the way. Second, though, at first she does. So you hear her say, oh, and Gwen, I, I sometimes feel like it's like an unreliable. Yes, she's an unreliable yes, narrator. narrator. Because she portrays it as she seemed disappointed. But keep, can you keep reading that passage a little more? Can you? I can, can you? I can, Because yes. I, I remember this page. Are you coming, your highness? I, yes, yes, of course. The princess gave an appraising look, seemingly, seeming to quickly recover from her shock. And quickly stepped over to Gwen's side. recovered. Quickly. At first just says, yes. oh, gives her an appraising look and then goes, all right, we can work with this. But yeah. Gwen yeah. being unreliable, you know, narration thing going on, takes it as disappointment. And folks, buckle up, because this is the first of many misunderstandings. And that is the entire book. This is where it started. Misunderstanding <laughs> each other. I swear to Christ. <laughs> the amount of times Gwen is like, this woman is an amazing actor. I am like, 
Gwen, you pigeon. But this is where it starts. This is where the unreliable narration starts because if you if you just read through that passage, you're gonna be like, oh, she didn't like that she was another girl. It's like, no, no. She was just surprised. Yeah. <laughs> she was not disappointed. She looked her up and down. Yeah. Gwen has a lot of feelings about herself as a woman who doesn't meet womanly, like womanly standards. Yeah. And that very much is pervasive. It's very much pervasive throughout the entire story is Gwen kind of assuming how others see her, which I very much understand as a woman, like judging yourself based on what you think others think of you before actually asking anybody what they think of you. Yeah. Uh -huh. And later in the book, it's actually established that um, Gwen is a broader girl because she is an archer. Like that's her main vibe is archery. Um, and so... Uh, you know, as someone who grew up, like, I'm a very broad woman. I'm not, like, I'm just, I'm built like a brick shit house, And I <laughs> always it. have been. I always have been. I'm built for farm work. I, okay? I feel yeah. this, though. As a six foot tall woman, I feel this in my soul. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's so nice to be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, she's not... It's not like, oh my god, perfect stick dainty princess meets perfect stick dainty knight, and they fuck about it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. I would say, though, there is a very specific trope that is being filled here. Once they do, you know, <laughs> progress to the sexy bits, is that we have the very petite and dainty princess who is described as slim and slight and beautiful. Yep. And then we have Gwen, who is described as broad, muscled, um, more masculine. We very much have the buff and the twink going on. Yeah. We just, it's just two ladies. Like, we, we have the, Gwen is even hairy. We have the bear and the twink. Yeah. It's just with two women. And I love to see the representation for the buff, hairy woman. Because, let me tell you, I'm small, but I am hairy. <laughs> so much hair, everybody. And to see, like, there were specifically multiple grooming scenes where it was like, Gwen is hairy. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that. I'm hairy, too. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, I will say... It is absolutely delightful that the short one is the top. Like, yes. yeah, I, I don't feel like yes. it spoiled earlier. We did mention that the knight, yes. she yeah. is the bottom as we progress throughout the, the story. God, it's so amazing. <laughs> I, yes. I love... Ava is in control. Yes. Yeah. I love small, angry, and calm, tall. That is... Oh, my God. Uh, Some of the tropes here. Small, angry, calm, tall. Yeah. But... <laughs> I do I do also take umbrage with the fact that this actually would be my first umbrage place. Um, I like that there's different body types and different body representations. However, I, I hate... So, a little backstory on me, and I'll try not to tell the sad story for too long, but I was an actress in high school, and my theater teacher, I asked him, you know, why didn't I ever get, like, a princessy, like, wife role? Like, I was always, like, the wife or the mom. Like, I never got, like, a maiden role, I guess would be a word for it. And he's like, you're not built for it. You don't have the body for it. Excuse me? And so... Excuse as, me? Have you as, seen Nobility? Have you seen their jawlines? Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but as someone... I've always been shaped like this. Like, I've, I've always been a bigger girl. I've always been a brick shit house, as we established earlier. But I've never been the princess. And so I guess I kind of... It would have been nice to have that body diversity in reverse. Like, that would have been a really cool... Yeah. I would have loved that. If yeah. that subversion would happen, mm -hmm. would have happened, I would have been 
in heaven. Mm-hmm. Like, if the princess had been a brick shit house, I would be <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Because I, I'm not even gonna get into it. I could get into it, but I'm not going to anyway. But at I least mean, she's I have to not say, the top. At least, yeah, yeah. yeah. At least we yeah. got this subversion. Yes, we do. There is a subversion. It's not quite the subversion, perhaps we're looking for, but it is a subversion. I I want to say I'm very small. Uh, I'm sitting. So even if you can see this, you can't tell. Um, I am short. I am five foot one and three you quarters. Are... And those three quarters matter when you're five foot one and three quarters. It matters. I am oh, I'm very little, but I'm not slight. I am most often compared to a dwarf. Um, like as in like a Tolkien like style dwarf. Like I am short, but I am brawny. I am hard to tip over. You don't try and knock me down. I'm the Wolverine. You know, like I enjoy not... your description. That's so cute. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's yes. so cute. Yes, sorry. I am short but stout. Like I am thick of body and thick of will. Um, <laughs> and thick of heart and thick of ass. Um, <laughs> Don't you dare delete this. Keep it up. Not going to. I can't. I can't. Um, and I would have. I would have loved to see a thick princess yes. as someone who is short but thick. I've in my entire life, the only time I ever fit into like a size two pants, it happened very briefly. That was only because I was taking ADD medication, and it was, I had first started it, and I forgot to set timers to eat, and I was literally dying, and I looked really sick, and then like. My friends are like, hey, Corinne, you need to set timers to eat. And then, like I said, timers to eat, and I was back to, you know, you know. Want more wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Can't get enough of our sexy voices and even sexier brains. Join our Patreon at the flirt level for only $3 to gain access to ad-free episodes, monthly book polls, and the patrons-only portion of our Discord. Looking for something more? Our one-night stands at $5 also get episodes one week early and access to our personal reading notes from each episode. We have so much to show you. All we need is a little commitment. Interested? Check out our socials W-B-T-Y-M pod, basically anywhere people congregate. Each one will link our Patreon. Can't wait to see you there. Like, I may be small, but I'm sturdy. And that's always been, you know, one of the things. I would have loved to have seen a short, thick princess. Yeah. Give me a thick princess. Um, I, uh... I did finally, I feel like at least, I did finally see representation for myself in, um, oh, you might want to delete this. Uh, <laughs> so Steven Universe has a character named Rose Quartz, who is very tall. You very, are so Rose Quartz. She's very boobalicious, you know, <laughs> she's, yes. she is present, but she's very femme. Uh, yes. But she can also be uh, like in a leadership role. She can be bossy. But she she keeps that femininity, uh, and that is the only example I've ever seen. But yeah, like it's it's just so hard to see a subversion of tropes, especially in romance novels. Yes, every woman is a waif. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's nice that you know at least the bottom is hairy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> the, the bottom is hairy. But We're I will say it's it's just so funny that like we're grasping for things. 
you know yeah. so we will yeah. latch on to oh thank god at least this is different Ugh. yes at, at least uh, both characters aren't the hottest women you've ever seen in your life yeah yeah all boobs and, and tits and ass and and the one who you would think is traditionally very malicious, yeah. tittied up, you know, on a Sunday, uh, <laughs> thinks that the other one is gorgeous. Yeah. You see so often in the yeah. book, so many times, Ava will call Gwen beautiful. Yes. And, and I love it is that. the sweetest. Yeah. It is. It is so sweet to see. There are so many times I've highlighted where Ava calls Gwen beautiful. And I'm like, Gwen, yeah. she's calling you beautiful. Fucking you get your head fuck. out of your ass. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, these two are the stupidest motherfuckers. We need to get more into the story. Yes, <laughs> we need to talk more about these stupid okay, motherfuckers. Okay, so, so they get to the rescue. Uh, Ava finds out Gwen is a lady and is like, "All right, I can work with this." Yeah, and a plan forms. Yes, if you if you wanna if you wanna, I do, I do, I do. I do. Um, yeah. Yes, I I had page fifty four. So we'll have to appear even more in love than if you had rank. But it's a believable story, and your brother would have opportunities. He couldn't dream of otherwise. Will you do it? Let me get this straight. Are you asking me to marry you? Yes, and to pretend to be absurdly in love with me. That songs will tell of us through the ages. Her hands made grandiose gestures through the air as if conducting a symphony. Will I get murdered by the Earl if I say yes? No. If you were feeling vindictive, he would aim at one who insulted him. But he is far more likely to stir a rebellion than to attempt assassination. Which is why we need to be utterly believable. Do you think you can act besotted with me? It looked like the thought struck her suddenly. Please tell me you don't have a long history of publicly lusting for men. One or two we can probably get around, but if it's a new man every month with no women between, I might need a new plan. No judgment, just, you know. <laughs> Gwen coughed. No history of public lusting for men. The only man who ever thought I lusted for was a buffoon that we encountered last night. But he thinks I'll oh. want him, and I corrected him swiftly. And the other question? Can I act besotted with you? I don't know. I don't know the normal way to act around a princess. Nor what courtiers expect from women in love. I'd never been to the capital until you went missing. Real quick, can we talk about how fucking little of an issue James is that we forgot to bring yeah, him up? We forgot yeah, we forgot to bring him fucking James. <laughs> Another subversion of the trope. Uh, so the very beginning of the book, there's this guy named James. He's kind of smarty, sleazy. He flirts with Gwen. He's basically the person she brings bounties to. All right. Uh, he's a representative for their town. He follows Gwen, who searches for Ava, finds where she is, waits for them to come back, and is going to ambush them and get the prize himself. Gwen, instead of fighting him, is like, what the fuck are you doing? Go back to work. I'll see you, like, on Wednesday. And he's like, oh, okay. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'll As fucking kill you. As soon as Gwen is like, I would not hesitate to kill you if you stand in my way. James is like, <laughs> sorry. It's just the funniest yeah. fucking thing. Because usually at stories like this, he's like a villain. Yeah. yeah. He's in the shadows and is always there at every turn. But this time it's like, no, everyone has that one asshole guy from their backstory when they were younger. Yeah. Who ended up not being that big of an issue. He was just a little bitch, <laughs> you know? And James is the every woman's little bitch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I love that. I love that for this on book. Tinder. Every woman's little bit. He is. But yes, I I love that he was such a non-issue. Yeah. That we genuinely <laughs> forgot to bring him over. We're he like James. Looked, that fuck with nah. He's only in like 
like the first few chapters yeah. and he is dealt with and then you can live the rest of your happy little yeah. gay Never life comes you know back. yeah like, no and i Fuck love that, guy. that i love that he does not come back because it would have been such like a oh it's james but he doesn't come back and i'm like you know what valid yeah <laughs> wait not every douchebag from your past is gonna stick around the rest of your life thank fuck sometimes they cheers, just I'll drink to that they cheers they just yeah. take the the note and leave <laughs> more men should take the note mm-hmm. more little bitches <laughs> all right continue sorry i just had to backtrack and be like oh my god we, we forgot, forgot to mention the first turtle i do oh, feel like it's in the background i do feel like we should actually talk about like the reward and the tr- like prize Yes, I have that noted. Because it ties um, into the prophecy. Yeah, what's James trying to get? So we get the bounty that brings Gwen into the story. Hear ye, hear ye. By order of his grace, King Harold von Tripshire, Lord of the Marshes, Emperor of the Realm, without knight, high king of the Eastern Isles, and champion of the faith, heed my words. Her Royal Highness, the Princess Ava, beloved daughter and only heir of our precious monarch, has vanished. The king calls upon all able-bodied men of honor to ride to her rescue. The person who returns our princess to her royal father, unharmed, shall be rewarded with whatsoever they may carry from the treasury, using nothing but the strength of their own two arms. And that is the specific letter of the law here in this rescue. That whosoever brings back the princess can carry from the treasury anything that they can carry with their own two arms. This does come into play, folks. And I will love it. I love it. <laughs> so the prophecy is mentioned. And the prophecy is basically, if you bring the head of the dragon and present it before the current monarch, you get half the kingdom. That's and like, the hand of the princess. And the hand of the princess. That's like the whole thing. Okay. That comes back later. I promise. Anyway, we've set up the basic premise here. The basic premise is that we have a princess who's missing. A prophecy is set that has been set that if a princess is rescued from a dragon, the uh, the person who rescues the princess from the dragon gets half the kingdom and the princess's hand of marriage. We have Gwen, the bounty hunter, who is intent on rescuing the princess. And as we have previously talked about, does do so because it's the entire plot of the novel. I no, shake I the book. The prophecy exists. However, the king has not promised it. Yeah. Yes. He has promised whatever you can get out of the treasury. Yes. yes. And carry and it in your two hands. Gwen did not go for marriage. She, no. she went for money for her family. Yeah. However, the princess has other ideas. Yes. The Gwen only seeks to get money to support her family. Uh, her father, I believe, died when she was young. And she has been supporting her mother and brother um, <laughs> since. Um, her mother doesn't necessarily approve of her station in life, what she chooses to do, but her brother is really promising, like a very smart guy who she just really hopes to give the best in life, which I think is probably one of Gwen's best qualities is that she really just wants the best for her family, even though she could be self-serving as we often see bounty hunters being in media. And I will say it's fascinating how Ava recognizes this and utilizes this. Yes. Yes, Ava takes advantage of this, which Ava, smart woman. Yeah, smart so woman. smart. So I think it's safe to say that the here be spoilers from here on be spoilers. Yes. yes. So, so if you want to read honestly, the book, honestly, yeah. stop now, read the book, then come, come back, back and we talk about the fucking. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 okay. 
stop here. Read the book. Uh, if you don't plan to, keep listening. Know that the warnings are there that we have listed at the start of the uh, podcast. But know that at, at least one of us loves this book. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm not saying I yeah, didn't yeah, enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You won't waste your money. I no, have um, some quibbles. So, spoilers, be warned. Let's get into the story. So, Ava Ava says, hey, marry me. I'll, I'll get you whatever you need. Your brother could go to college. She, she manipulates. She's straight up, you know. She is a strong manipulator. And I feel like that is She's something... She's not evil, but... No, but... Manipulation can be for good. I mean, anybody who is or in... Or just self-serving. Yeah. Yes. Anyone who can be in a place of authority is using manipulation in some way. Um, and I feel like that's really prevalent in this story. We are seeing that manipulation doesn't have to be evil or bad. It can just be self-serving and or it can be for the greater good. But anybody who is in the place of leading is manipulating in a way. And Ava very much personifies this. Yeah, she, she says the consort of the queen if she were to have, have a, brother. a brother that was looking for an apprenticeship, he could get whatever he wanted. Uh, and she knows she is, she knows that Gwen is looking for that for her brother and uh, lays it out there. So, of course, Gwen agrees, you know, because uh, she is very much, you know, a caretaker for her family. And as you said, like a subversion of the trope that a bounty hunter is self-serving. No, very much still indebted and in caring for her family. And James pops up, doesn't even... Matter really exists. Those away gone. Uh, <laughs> and they start hatching this plan before they reach the king and queen. Who wants to talk about the plan? I can. Yeah. Or, or Roxy, you can. This is your. No, go for it, okay. Andy. Go. You. You tell the plan. Basic. I want to hear it in your words. <laughs> Basically, Ava's like, listen. There is people are gonna fucking talk. So. We need to make it a good showing that you are besotted with me and we are, like, absolutely in love with each other from you saving me so I don't have to marry Lord Fuckwit. So they decide to stage some public hijinks of a sexual nature. Romantic sexual nature. sexual hijinks. Yes. Sounds like a good band. Um, (laughs) Public sexual hijinks. P-S-H. They're touring with the Mountain Goats next week. Um, <laughs> um, but they, they're they like, you know, gossip will get there. Like Ava's, again, very people-minded, very good at kind of disseminating how nobles will react to stuff. And so she and um, Gwen are orchestrated so they are caught, you know, in compromising positions that maybe aren't as compromising at first. They get more compromising, don't worry. They, they level it up. God, the whole time Gwen is like, you know, well, my brother's getting education. My mom's taken care of. Like, I'm good with this. And I mean, she's hot, so it's fine. I won't have trouble pretending to be in love with her because she's hot. And it's just kind of like, you are stupid. You are (laughs) stupid. Sorry. She's not. She's doing it for the right reasons. She is oblivious is is what I've written in my notes so many times. She's so fucking oblivious so i would say the crux of the story is that most of this is them putting on a show for everybody fake romance abound but all the while they are falling for each other and ava definitely has her doubts 
She has doubts, but we don't really experience them because we're not seeing from Ava's perspective. We're seeing from Gwen's perspective. And Gwen the entire time thinks she is the only one catching feelings. And I am like, you fucking pigeons. <laughs> Just talk to each other. If you don't talk to each other, I'm going to punch a wall. Um... <laughs> I was, there's so many notes of me just being like, just writing the word pigeons. Like, <laughs> you look at my Can notes. You explain? Can you explain pigeons to our viewers? Yes. The reason I'm calling them pigeons is because pigeons are very simple-minded, not very <laughs> smart. I don't like to use words that degrade people's intelligence, but I feel calling someone a pigeon very much describes a very specific lack of understanding in the way the world works. A pigeon. So, so they're like if you threw a pigeon like a french fry and yes. it just looked around and it was like, oh, where's the, where's the french fry? You know, it's that's why I call them pigeons because the french fry has feelings for you, <laughs> yeah. you dumb bird. You dumb bitch, that french fry is feelings for you. Um, So the if you look at my notes, it, there's just the word pigeons multiple times in capital letters. Like a um, mad woman. <laughs> these notes look like the notes of a mad woman. Um, just yelling about pigeons. Yeah, because I like to, you know, ableism and things. Uh, you know, but these bitches do not talk to each other. And they're absolute pigeons about it. <laughs> I actually, I would like to read something from the book if I may. Yes, and please, then, read um, an excerpt. I will tell you what my note was after. Okay. okay. Wow, Ava said, and then cleared her throat a little roughly. Are you sure you've never kissed a woman before, Gwyn? Gwyn stammered. No, I mean, yes, no, I haven't kissed a woman before. Yes, I'm sure, I'm sorry. Sorry, your highness, I won't. Relax, I'm not angry. And wonder of wonders, she didn't sound it. Far from it, if you kiss me like that, where we can be interrupted, well, whoever catches us will certainly believe our charade. Gwyn started to breathe more easily. She was still a little frightened, but she had it under control, mostly. Ava didn't seem to know she wasn't acting, thank the gods. My note is just horny idiots in all caps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's so funny. The fact that, you know, oh, we need to practice, make it believable. We got a believable in so quotation marks. They, they don't only do this in front of people. No. And, nope. and they, they do this in private. And there's one scene. You know what? Hold on. I'm going to actually read from one of my read notes. It. Yes, yes. Oh, please, please read us an excerpt, ma'am. Yes. Warning readers. This is about to get a little vulgar. <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, so... Bring the vulgarity. Uh, there was... Roxy, please bring it. There, there is a scene. So what they're doing basically is they're, as they travel, uh, every inn and tavern they stay at, they make sure they get caught, like, you know, smooching a lot and a little bit of touching, you know, a little bit of the, you know. So, so every year. Canoodling. Oh, my God. The canoodling uh, <laughs> in Wenlock. <laughs> Out of Wenlock. Out of Wenlock. My Out mistake. Of Wenlock. I'm sorry. So, what they're hoping to do is that every inn and tavern they go to, someone's going to tattle and gossip. Eventually, it does reach places before they arrive. Um, but there is one scene that cracked me up so hard. I feel like I know it. And <laughs> basically, they they do the deed, and the princess is wet down there. Sorry for your sensitive ears. Uh, we gave a content warning. We did, we did. And Gwen thinks to herself, is she turned on? <laughs> she literally 
has just had an orgasm and Gwen goes, she's really good at baking. <laughs> it kills me. When I say it kills me, this is what I mean. And the amount of times Gwen thinks, wow, she's a great actress after Ava has literally had a mind-blowing orgasm is... Yeah. I can't even have count these on one hand. It is, I just, there is no words for how oblivious Gwen is to the mind-blowing orgasm she is giving a princess. (laughs) And she, she's just thinking this whole time to herself, oh, we're just friends helping each other out, just being gal pals, and it's like, sweetie, no. And they were roommates, you know, like, it is, it is as if the historical perspective of lesbians were happening real time with the person involved in the relationship, and I have to tell you, that is not something I ever expected. I just... I just remember going through this and like I'm reading through all my notes and just losing my mind. <laughs> if this was a fanfic that I had written, I would have tagged it Idiots with Benefits. It is Idiots with Benefits. It's Idiots with Benefits. What's like the only describe idiots. themselves you know? as friends with benefits? And I'm like, oh, no. or at least Gwen does. And I'm like, yeah. Fucking yeah, you love the name of this woman. episode, Idiots with Benefits. Yeah, Idiots, Idiots with Benefits. Idiots, Idiots with Benefits. Because these idiots have benefits and we need to take them away. <laughs> so, so the whole the whole time they're they're traveling through, they're just getting caught in these situations and the poor people that find them. <laughs> I feel so bad for everyone who stumbles upon this absolute vulgar display. <laughs> And it's like, I understand, you know, Ava is very smart and she is, yes. she, she is, this is a strategy. You don't gotta go that far, hon. You don't gotta. I feel, okay, so we are not seeing this from Ava's perspective. I feel like Ava's really pushing the envelope. She's like, we need to make this convincing, but also this lady's hot and I'm gonna get some fucking in. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My... I will say, I am someone that I enjoy kink. I enjoy reading about kink, learning about kink. I enjoy kink, okay? Just gonna expose myself to not here to yuck anybody's yum. You need fucking consent. That is not the first time there's a consent issue either. But we can hold off on that one. That bugged me. Also, may I bring up my second umbrage? Bring up the umbrage. Umbrage it. Woman never shuts the fuck up about nipples. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to play hard again, but we've run out of time this episode. Join us on 517 for part two of Kathleen DePlume's Dragon Queens and our very first Tingling Tingler. Missing us already? Join our Discord. It's linked in the About section of our very sexy Patreon, Tumblr, and Facebook page. Get flirty and stay dirty, friends.